Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast presented by the Canon, an SB Nation blog which covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm PD, your substitute host for this week for a very special episode. Uh, with me are Elaine Shercliffe. Hello, Elaine. Hi. And El Polito. Hello, El Polito. How's it going? And joining us today is a very special guest. She covers the Blue Jackets for The Athletic and is a must-follow on Twitter for all things related to hockey stats and Columbus hockey. She is Allison Lucan. Allison, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the invite. This is it's a thrill and honor for us to have you here tonight. Um, <laughs> I have to interrupt really quick because I, I know I follow Allison for the hockey stuff, but really it's more about the Baby Yoda tweets that she <laughs> sends out again, and I appreciate that a lot, too. That's you know, my real yeah. value add. <laughs> <laughs> Just never know what other gems are going to pop up there. So to get started, Allison, I know that uh, you had started your professional career not as a writer. You were on the business in the business field. So I'm kind of curious about your path into how you switched into becoming a writer full-time professionally, uh, why you decided to write about hockey, and then how did hockey stats become your niche or your specialty sort of as a, as a writer? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a, a long drawn out story. Um, I had grown up in Columbus um, for people who are as old as me, you know, there wasn't hockey in Columbus back then. I was leaving for college right as the chill was kind of coming to be a thing. Um, mm. But I left and a uh, long story short, ended up based out of Washington, D.C. for a while. I had grown up skating. My dad had casually played hockey, so I, I knew the game um, and had followed the caps. They were really bad when I lived in D.C., <laughs> ironically, um, and then moved back home to Columbus and was following the Blue Jackets just kind of turned to them for entertainment and following along. And this was like, there were barely any people on Twitter back then. And so it was kind of just this fun little community to start writing about hockey and following it. Um, and from there, I got an opportunity to be one of the team of writers at Fox Sports Ohio. Um, and from there, I got the opportunity to do some writing for the team site. And now I'm a part-time contributor over at The Athletics. So uh, that is kind of the long and short of it. Saved up as much money as I could so that I could take advantage of the opportunity that presented itself a couple years ago. Now, you said you you played hockey. Has that helped you see the game differently from other writers? And, and how has that helped you as a writer having played the game? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I want to be careful here because I'm definitely not a did you play the game crowd. <laughs> I think that's um, not fair. Well, but right, right. For, for me, that, and I just want that to be said because I know some people do that to others. And I don't think that's right. Um, for me, it has helped because it has really, I, I've been athletic um, a lot of my life, but to understand what really is asked of the athletes on the ice, to understand what you may or may not see when you're on the ice, to understand what F, what a shift feels like, those things helped me for sure. Um, but like I said, I don't think everyone needs that. And I think that, of course, you know, I would never, ever go to any player and even remotely claim <laughs> to understand what it's like to be in their skates or in their heads. Um, but yes, for me, it certainly was helpful. Um, and I also enjoy it. So so that was another reason to keep doing it. All right. And then what what advice would you give to someone who is maybe thinking, hey, I'd like to to write for a career or I would like to write specifically about hockey, uh, what kind of tips would you give to someone who maybe has that aspiration? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, places like SB Nation have lots of great opportunities. There's a couple good Blue Jackets blogs already that I know are often putting out calls for additional writers. Um, so follow those if you're obviously a Columbus fan. Um, but the, the best advice I can give is obviously keep writing, write, write, write. Even if you're just writing in a notebook or a blogger blog that you set up yourself, the more you write, the easier it's going to be. And I think another key thing is to find your own voice. Um, even myself, when I started writing, I was trying to fit a narrative or a model of what I thought professional hockey writing should look like. And I had a couple key mentors in my development who really talked to me about ways that I could bring myself and my, my approach into my writing. And that really made it even easier. Um, and that would be the thing too. find mentors, find people that you like the way they write, who maybe have been in the field for a long time, reach out, find people who are willing to communicate back and forth with you, see if from time to time, they'll look over your work and, and share some feedback. And you just have to keep at it. It's a hard field to get into professionally right now for all of us. Um, right. but, uh, even if you aren't getting paid, if you love it and if you're writing in your style, you're bringing something to the conversation and you're bringing a different viewpoint and you're bringing more information to people who may not already know what you know or think about something in the way that you think. And so you should never be deterred, even if it ends up being a hobby or, or a, a part-time job or a supplemental income. Um, if you love it, you should always see if you can make time to do it. Yeah, I really like that that bit about finding your, your own voice because both El Palio and I, we started out as commenters on the canon and <laughs> it was just from from our comments that we got noticed and called up to start contributing to the site. And, uh, and I, and I agree that, yeah, just even writing in the comments was a great start for me. I just enjoyed communicating through writing that way. Uh, and then I was able to fortunately expand it into writing longer articles on the site. So, uh, Elaine, uh, you're up next with your question. Yeah, actually before my question, um, I have to say, like, I really just needed to hear that about, um, the money aspect and, and loving it. Sometimes I get really caught up, um, especially recently with wanting to make it a full-time career so bad that like I let it set me back a little. So I'm really glad that you said that because uh, that definitely just kind of hit me right in the hockey school. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. And so one of the reasons why I was really excited and wanted you to come on um, is because I don't really understand this uh, air quotes fancy stats that much. <laughs> um, I like what is the best way to explain it to people who either don't get it or they've just been 
like clinging solely to the eye test? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. And it's so I guess there's I could talk about this for an hour and a half and no one needs that. So um, but the, the simplest way to think about it is this, is that when we if, if you are interested in trying to evaluate talent and play at a deeper level, or if you are even interested in looking at predictive behavior, meaning what tells us if someone is good or what tells us if a team is likely, not necessarily guaranteed, but likely to win a game or end up in place X in a season. This is if you're interested in this. And one of the first articles I wrote um, about advanced stats, I talked to actually a gentleman who now is basically running the department of the company who will be controlling all of the data, the tracking data that will be coming out next year. Um, and he's, he himself said, he's like, if you want to sit and watch hockey and drink a beer, that's great. Like not everyone has to be into advanced stats. It's not a requirement. It doesn't mean you don't get the game. It just means that's how you prefer to take in hockey. And that's awesome and really cool. And I think you should totally keep doing that. But for me, what bothered me was, um, I've told this story a couple times. I was at a game with my husband and we were watching a shot go towards, at the time, Steve Mason. And the shot went wide of the net. And I looked up at the shot counter and the shot counter didn't change. And I said, well, that should change. And he said, well, no, it doesn't, of course, because shot's on goal. I'm like, I know. But that was something that happened and it made the goalie react. And it shows that the team was doing something offensively that should be captured. And he was like, well, you know, whatever. And I tend to go on rants and he tends to have to put up with it anyway. Um, but that right there, counting all shot attempts. So not just shots on goal, but shots that are misses and shots that are blocks are really the foundation of advanced stats in hockey. It's all based on shots um, because that comes from the NHL and that's what we analyze. And at its most simplest level, the reason we want to count sh- all shot attempts more than shots is because you have more of them. So if you have more of them, you are more likely to get a good predictive result. Just like if I have a quarter, I know that technically I have a 50-50 chance of getting heads. Well, if I flip it once, I only get heads. If I flip it twice, I might get heads twice and say the odds are wrong, right? But if I flip it 100 times, I'm going to get closer and closer to that 50-50 split. That's why we use shot attempts and not shots. There's simply more of them. So they're more statistically predictive. That's Corsi. Corsi is shot attempts. And I don't, that's why I don't use Corsi because it's a silly name that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) So we say shot attempts. Um, So that is the foundation of pretty much all advanced stats. From there, what we are doing and what really brilliant people are doing is taking mathematical models and systematic models And using the data that the NHL gives us to start to do deeper levels of analysis. What is shot quality? So not just how many shots did a team take, but where did they come from on the ice? Because we can get that from the NHL. Who took the shot? Was it a power play? Was it a penalty kill? What was the score state? Was the team that was shooting the puck leading or trailing? And find all kinds of probabilities that give us a better indication of what the final outcome, again, like I said, might be. So again, it's just about saying, I'm gonna look at more data than quote unquote traditional NHL stats look at, and I'm going to use trusted mathematical analysis to do some deeper evaluations. Now, all of that said, every single time I use a number, it has to jive with my eye test. 
There's plenty of stuff that I've gone into debates with with some of the creators who are brilliant of some of these more advanced stats where I'm like, this number just doesn't make sense for this player. That's not who that player is. And it can either lead to an evolution of the, the number and how it's calculated, or it can lead to a deeper understanding of what we see when we look at the ice or maybe what we're not seeing and need to appreciate more or maybe devalue more. Um, so that's kind of the, the five minute <laughs> version of advanced stats. Um, but again, for me, and that's part of why I always include video as much as possible in my work um, and game information in my work is that I would never, ever, ever, ever hang my hat on just a number. Um, and if I don't agree with the way a number works, I'm just not going to use it because some of them are still kind of in their infancy and, and that's okay too. So, uh, I hope that answers it. <laughs> no, yeah, that actually answers, that actually answers a lot. That was very concise. I liked it. Thank you. And then like, what kind of challenges have you faced when it comes to analyzing the game via stats? Cause I know you were just talking about how you, um, watched all the penalty kill yeah. uh, clips and stuff. So, I'm sure that in itself was a challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the ch well, let's see. Okay, so the challenges I face, and, and look, I own my nerdness. So at the end of the day, I signed up for all of this. So, but the, the challenges are certainly time. Um, we hockey is one of the major sports, hockey is one of the farthest behind in terms of the publicly available data that we have. And so things like penalty kills. Other sports, we can get, you know, marks of which player carries a puck into his own and when and where. I had to watch every single penalty kill to get that information because it's just not publicly available. So the amount of time to get the kind of data I'm looking at these days because it is not tracked by the NHL and we don't have publicly available tracking data, that's an issue. The other issue, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm slamming here, I just finished explaining how pretty much all of advanced stats work is grounded in the stats that the NHL provides. So that always makes me laugh too when people rail on advanced stats and say they want NHL stats. I'm like, you realize the NHL stats are basically the ingredients for the advanced stats. It's not like we went and got different shot counts. Um, <laughs> but uh, there have been some issues with NHL data. And if people have been following along, there was a big issue at the start of this year where there was a bug in the NHL's um, shot mapping software. And actually the public... Uh, analysts, not me, but people like me who are a ton smarter than me are the people who found it. So there are, and I'll get this too. Sometimes I'll put out a shot map and people will say, your shot map's wrong. That's not where the shot came from. I'm like, I know that's not where the shot map came from, but that's where the NHL <laughs> says the shot came from. So um, that's an issue. And, and I think just a challenge, but a challenge that I love is always trying to learn and be better and keep up because, like I said, uh, hockey is so far behind relatively. Um, there's just so much to do and there's so many questions that we want to answer and we just can't answer yet. And that's exciting, but also sometimes a little frustrating. You know, Allison, one of the things you just mentioned about the fact that the advanced tests are complementary to your eye test, I think is, is the one part of the message that doesn't get to a lot of fans when they hear folks speak about advanced stats, you know, that it's a complementary aspect of what you're trying to figure out at the game of hockey. And I think why there's, why there's a little bit of pushback from the fan base is always that it's, you can't do it on, you know, you can't play hockey on paper, it can't just be math, you have to look at your eyes and get that message that both things are used together to complement each other. Um, that's really help you figure out 
how good your team is doing. So that's helpful for me to hear. Are there players that you feel consistent? Well, I shouldn't say consistent. Are there players that you feel outperform the metrics? Like you get through your process through a game. Um, I know you use things like game score and uh, other stuff of that nature, other metrics of that nature. But are there players that you just look at and every time you see them, you think they're doing far more than my metrics are showing? Oh, interesting. Um, so I would say I think that there are players who are undervalued because what they do isn't measured by publicly available NHL data. And I will pick this example, and I know it's a lightning rod subject, um, but Ryan Murray. Ryan Murray is an elite passer. We love him here, by the way. Don't yeah, we it. do. We love him a lot. We think he's one of the best. <laughs> he, he's an elite passer. Um, and if you look at his ability to transition the puck, um, which, as I mentioned before, is something like that I have personally tracked. There are a couple people who are um, kind of the, the godfathers of that, like Corey Schneider, who track that for all teams. Um, but if you if, if you look at Ryan Murray's stat line um, and yes, of course, he's always injured. I know we know. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. um, yep. <laughs> if you look at his stat line, he doesn't have gaudy point totals. He's more of an assist guy. He's not a big shooter but he's huge on the penalty kill because he gets the puck out of the zone so effectively. And he's huge at getting the puck out of the zone in five on five play again, because every once in a while, if you watch his passes, they're just so good. Um, and we can't measure that today. We can't say who's a good, who's good at getting the puck down the ice. The only people that maybe we think about is like a breakout pass or it, and it would, this was a fantastic play, but Seth Jones skating the puck down the ice for the overtime winner in Boston, because that, that sticks in our memory, right? But we don't remember the pass that led to the neutral zone that led to the pass that was the assist in the offensive zone in less than two seconds. So I think Ryan Murray's one. I do think, um, while I am not excusing that he could be better, I think Alexander Wenberg's defensive, yes. <laughs> defensive <laughs> ability is really, really underrated. And I would say that as a whole, I think we are terrible in terms of all stats, public and advanced, in terms of measuring defense, oh, um, it's my holy grail. <laughs> so uh, that's that's a big one for me. Um, who else doesn't show well? Well, there's one person I've noticed, uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, who has yes. really impressed me this season. But there's some, like especially game by game data. I'll sometimes look at the numbers and it doesn't look that great. Now, I don't know if that's just because of who he's been deployed against or if he's been more in the defensive zone. Like, I can't tell. But sometimes like, oh, I really thought that like his his shot attempt numbers would have been better than they they actually were. Yeah. And he actually, though, and this is where and I'm pulling this up to see um, he has been had some really good game scores. Um, so that's something that kind of captures what he does. And I agree with you. I think he's also, um, a very talented player. I think he's, he's better than I even expected him to be this season. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, again, you know, it's, it's a different wrinkle of the Ryan Murray problem. It's if you don't put points on the board and you're not shooting the puck a lot, how does someone think you're good? Because it, it's the common joke, even, even among, you know, quote unquote, I test people, a good defenseman doesn't get noticed. Right? right, because he's not making yeah. mistakes. He's not the guy that got skated around. So, yeah, I think Vladislav Gavrikov is definitely a candidate for that. And I actually think that the value that Gustav Nyquist brings is should be measured different than points. 
because I think his playmaking is really, really, really underrated. Yeah, there are so many players, I feel, especially even at the AHL level, where if we counted up third assists or fourth assists, they would be off the charts in points because they just know how to quarterback a play. Yeah, and you, and like that's assists are like so. There's a better metric than assists, which is called shot assists. Oh, because again, just like instead of just counting th- things that lead to a goal, count things that lead to a shot. Now you have more of them, so you have better uh-huh. results. Now this has to be manually tracked, of course. Right. Um, <laughs> but because and because and it's better that way too because we have all seen the goal where we're like, there was a goal recently where I even when I put the gif up, I said. I think it might have been Sonny Milano. I'm like, Sonny Milano doesn't get an assist on that play, but he should have. And then there's plays where they're like, and the second assist goes to so-and-so, and you're like, that's because he was there, right? So <laughs> right. Um, second, assist, second assist can be a little noisy in that sense, um, but shot assist can help us better understand play creation like that. And I think that would help a team like this year's Jackets who are overall shooting the puck so poorly <laughs> that there are a lot of assists that aren't getting recorded because the shots aren't going in. Right. Huh. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a generous way of doing it. I think Petey, they, they could have scored all of these goals, but you know, I would say one thing about Gavrikov, and this is something I do when I watch because I, I don't know if this is you know how accurately or adequately this is recorded in the stats. But one of the things that he does incredibly well is the stick lift, the just his stick work in, in, yeah. in, in disrupting what another player is doing. And I don't know if there is anything that can track that because they're not all takeaways. And, um, but that's one thing that I know that he does really well that I just always have to look at. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And like when, when I track the penalty kill, you can't, it's just physically impossible to track every instance like that. But I agree with you, there's value in it. In theory, it'd be great to get something like pressure from when we have tracking data but like for me that's how i calculate quote unquote forecheck is Mm -hmm. if did you pressure a skater coming into the zone or trying to leave his own zone and if you did you got a a one and and that was that was how i marked pressure because yeah like all of this stuff is is so cool and interesting if you're interested in it and and there are some players that aren't good but there but when you find a player you like and when you when your eye sees something and you go that was good that's that's great and you can stop there or you can be like me and say what is it there that he's doing is that repeatable is that measurable and can we find statistical significance in it and say then they're good at this skill so yeah i mean and alexander texia has a great stick also if you watch Mm -hmm. him um he can lift an opponent's stick like nobody's business so um there are tons of things that we could track if we only had the power (laughs) Well, that sort of leads into my into my next set of questions here. Well, first, I was just going to ask, what is your if you have a favorite stat or like what after the game, you're, you're crunching the data. Like, what is the first thing you look at after a game to assess it? You know, if, if that's a way to phrase what is your favorite? Mm. stat? So that's a good question. So th- to be honest, like so this is a, this is a controversial take that's going on right now is that, of course, games matter. But like if you really want to know who's good one game is not enough to know, right? You right, need right. a bigger sample. So for me, I do tend to look at expected goals by team. Um, mm. That is important. And, and I think that the answer to that question for me changes season to season based on how the team is being asked to play because we know this team is being asked to play strong defensively 
mm. and protect their goaltender. So I don't care about shot counts actually this year because the Jackets are letting in more than they take some games, but they are always winning the quality battle. And so yeah. if I see that, that tells me that they are playing the game the way that they needed to play the game. And is there is there a stat that you feel is a is a glaring omission that we don't have? And if so, what can what can the NHL do to be better about collecting that data? Ooh. Um, I mean, I still don't have my answer on defensive tracking, but I will mm-hmm. say this this concept we just talked about of pressure. Um, I've written on it a couple times, like I said, and quantified it at the blue lines, but taking that to maybe more than just three zones on the ice and really starting to look at four check in that way, mm-hmm. the, the way that the way I like to appreciate the game, that would make me so happy. So pressuring slash four check um, by more than three zones, first of all, to have it at all, and then to have it for more than just in and out of each of the zones would be amazing. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Uh, let's go ahead and skip on our list to uh, El Palu. Your, your next question, I think, can kind of tie in with what we've been talking about. The, de- the defense question, I'm assuming. Yeah, preseason, I one of the things I was kind of banging on about coming into the season on the side, much to the chagrin of some other commenters, is that the offensive, you know, the lack of offense was going to be obvious, but the defense is really what had to change for the Blue Jackets to be successful in front of Corpus Auto or Elvis just because, you know, Bob did a whole lot of things that allowed the defense to not necessarily have to play defense. So I felt that the defense as a whole had to change and improve and really focus on decreasing shots. And I found that as a, the more I talked about this, every time I spoke about defense, everyone just focused on the actual defenseman. Like there, there's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I try to say, well, no, it's not just the defenseman. You have your forwards need to be able to do X, Y, Z. Is there a way? I mean, you know, aside from adding additional stats, like maybe pressure and that kind of thing. How do you? I guess how can we change the perception a little bit so that you know when you think defense, you're thinking all five skaters, just like when you think offense, you think all five skaters. Like, is there any kind of shift in how we talk about it that might help with that? <laughs> uh, there is. <laughs> it, it depends who you uh, who you want to subscribe to school of thought. Um, there are some of us who have started talking about, and, and honestly, Columbus is a perfect case study because of Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. Um, it's the idea of positionless hockey. Um, and mm-hmm. I actually asked Brad Shaw about this uh, maybe a month ago, I think. But uh, it's 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 pushing the idea, and this is an extreme. Please understand, I'm not saying this happens tomorrow. But it's the idea that there are five skaters on the ice who are put together as a unit. Um, If there's anyone who studied the origination of true Russian hockey, the the Russian five, it's similar to those kind of theories. But you're a five-man unit tasked with roles and responsibilities in different areas of the ice to play the way your team wants to play. 
you're not just a defenseman, you're not just a forward. And I think that, you know, when, when those of us here, when we write about the team, you know, this is a responsibility for us too to really listen to what the team is telling us. Because if you listen to John Tortorella and to the players, they are saying exactly what you're saying. They're saying this isn't just on the defenseman. This is a continuation of that one, two, two, four check that just totally shut down Tampa Bay in round one. The pressure starts in the offensive zone. Think of Josh Anderson. Think of him pushing sometimes below the goal line to keep the puck from even getting out. It's also about the forwards coming back on the breakout more for support so that when the defensemen are exiting the zone with the pass or with a rim, the forwards are where they need to be so that the battle for the puck happens outside the defensive zone and not inside the defensive zone, right? Because then if any of the opponent skaters are in your zone, they have to get out before they can get back in if they win that battle. So there are tons of little pieces at every stage of the game Whereas a five-man unit, and this is what Columbus is saying, this is what they're trying to do, that they are saying our identity is to be responsible defensively. That It's who we were against Tampa. It's who we need to be now. It's a continuation of that. And that's that goes back to why I always look at quality against. Um, because if they win the quality battle, this team is playing the way that they need to. It's interesting. I feel like uh, at the start of the season – the team was struggling defensively, but I think it was more the fault of the forwards and how they were playing within the system. And now the team has gotten better defensively overall. And over the past week, Zach Wierenski has been the best offensive producer. So <laughs> go figure. But remember, he's not a defenseman. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So I've been uh, covering the Monsters. This is my fourth season now. And I've noticed that the way they make stats readily available to everyone is... Um, well, not good. We basically just know registered shots on goal, plus minus, goals, assists, penalty minutes. Um, I know that they keep them, like face-offs, time on ice, shot attempts. But um, why, would, why do you think maybe the AHL is not making those available or keeping them in the same way that they are at the NHL level? I've... I've just been wanting to pick another writer's brain about why this could be happening, like staffing or. Yeah. Money. 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 I mean, because I mean, if you think about it, if, if, if you're at an NHL game, there's an entire suite of um, off officials helping track the game. There's ice level officials. There's officials on the ice. There's, they can call to Toronto. This is, this is the league with the most money. They can, afford to do it and they now have the demand to need to show it so they do i don't have a really good understanding of how i know i do too know that the ahl has more data than they make available publicly but if some of that is coming from staffers that are tracking it you have some consistency concerns right and that might also be why you don't want to make it public i mean and if you think the AHL is bad, come come cover a college hockey game. So, right. <laughs> where sometimes time on ice is being covered by a scratched player on the bench, literally. <sighs> so, um, you know, and this is, again, and even this is part of the problem with just human tracking, let alone the errors we talked about earlier, is that 
it's just hard to do. It's hard to do real time. Um, I sometimes do it real time. And if I can't keep up with it at game pace, I just stop because it's so hard to do. And and I, I have empathy for the people who are trying to do it, but yeah, I think there's probably issues also of, is it right? And if it's data that's being tracked by teams and not by the league, then that's a competitive advantage advantage. And you don't want to share that. Now, again, I don't know the, the true ins and outs of that, but I, I do know that AHL teams have access to some data that is more than they share. I also know some AHL teams are using some of the private tracking companies like the NHL uses. But again, that's not, from my understanding, it's not as standardized across the board as, as one would consider like in the NHL. Right. Yeah. Uh, some people would occasionally pass me like face-off wins and stuff last season because I was trying to figure it out. So I know that they keep them <laughs> because right, right. of that. If I could just, yeah, I, just, I find it very frustrating because I feel spoiled by the data that the NHL makes public because I know that I can look up all this data for how players are doing, but then it's hard when I'm trying to look up about prospects and it's not there. So if they're not scoring goals, right. I don't know if they're otherwise playing well. And that, and that's really hard to, uh, hard to adjust to. Right. It, it's really hard to write about that when I, I want something to match up with my eye test, like Anton Carlson, he's on AHL only contract defender. He plays both sides of the puck really well. If he's not scoring, no one's talking about him, but he mirrors the goalie. He, he screens the person screening the goalie. Like he does all these fantastic things. And I, I wish there was a way to be able to tell fans a little bit more what he brings to the game also offensively. But if he's not scoring a goal, like like I said, no one's talking about it. And also for me with stats, it's when we talked about like stats versus eye test. For me, like I just when I'm watching the game, I'm just watching the game. Right. But I use the stats to fill in what I can't watch. Was there something that I missed when I was watching the game? Or, you know, I watch say 70 Blue Jackets games, but I don't watch as much of the other teams. So right. if I'm trying to figure out who's good or bad, the stats are a useful thing. So then when I can't watch the monsters, I, I'm, I, I get Elaine's <laughs> uh, writings. But other than that, I don't I can't see what Ann Car- Anton Carlson's like, you know. Right. Right. And it's I mean, and, you know, Cleveland is such a great setup and they do such a nice job. Um, but you know, I covered, um, this team back when the affiliate was still in Springfield and, and those fans up there are great, but there just isn't as, as much financial resources for that organization as say a Cleveland organization has. And so if you don't have the resources as an organization and you don't have a massive fan base to help supplement that, um, it's hard. And even, even in Canada, if you go to junior hockey levels where some teams have rabid followings, you know, even there, they don't have a lot of these stats available. So it's it's really just, it's lower levels of hockey across the board face these challenges. And I think that what can be interesting to do is look, if, if advanced stats interest you, is finding concepts that we have proven at the NHL level and then apply those to data that maybe you can track or can gather on your own at the AHL level because you're not going to have them league-wide. But if you can say, I know that a player who consistently does X is usually a good offensive player, this player on this team does that consistently because I tracked 10 games and I saw this and this and this and this. So um, 
Um, that's a, that's kind of a cheat that you can do. And some of uh, my colleagues I know who do some tracking, like for OHL teams and stuff, will try and do concepts like that, at least as a start. Nice. Um, and then in that same kind of token is, uh, you know, people tend to talk down about women's hockey. I know that you love women's hockey just as much, if not more than I do. Do you think, uh, making the stats more readily available to the media um, or the public would draw fans into the game more and help people understand just the high caliber of players who are playing on the national team and in the PWHPA and the NWHL? Um, I mean, it's a good question. I, I, I think that having more stats would just speak to better overall support for the league. But I think that what we really need to do right now to grow the game is get people to watch the game. And that means get people to the games and also provide coverage of the games that is easily accessible. Even though I had casually followed women's hockey for years and years, going to games regularly now is it's it. When I started back, it was such a pleasant surprise to remember the caliber of hockey that's happening Um, It's also a great way to bring children into the sport because it's a slower game, even at the men's side at college. Um, It's more affordable to get into a college (laughs) game than into an NHL game. If you have to leave early, you don't mind that you only spent $10 versus whatever it is to get into Nationwide. So I think right now to grow that game, the focus has to be on exposure, attention, and bringing the spotlight to these athletes and this game so that people can see that maybe some of the preconceptions that they have are actually incorrect. To change gears a little bit, sure. Now, this situation, I think, ended already, but, you know, Elvis decided to go on a little bit of a media, I'm not going to call it a media blackout, but I guess a media brownout, you know, <laughs> the power <laughs> went out slightly. Um, and... You know, I know usually the media doesn't particularly like it when a player in any sport decides that they don't want to speak to me to the media. It's not taken well. And sometimes a lot of fans don't like it either. But in this case, it was interesting to me just because Elvis still put out these statements that seem pretty comprehensive. He seemed to answer a couple of questions. And yet I know, I know I follow Aaron Portstein. I follow a lot of the media and it just wasn't really taken well. In a situation like that, when a player... Yet doesn't want to talk to the media. He still provided information. Is that still okay? I mean, for me as a fan, I was glad to, you know, I read his statements and I'm like, okay, well, that's probably what Hordy would have asked anyway. And I think that's fine. But I guess from within the industry, how does that, I guess, really impact what you're trying to do, even if he is providing information? Yeah. So this is a great question. Um, So a couple things, because um, I saw some of the noise about that too. Um, first and foremost, we don't, we as media don't have opinions on if the player wants to talk or not. The, the reality is a slight spin on that, which is that it is our jobs, if we are in that room, to get the stories to share with the people who can't be in that room, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't need to talk to Elvis so that I can hear what Elvis said. I, I would like to talk. If you saw his reaction after that first win, you know it meant a lot to him. I don't think anyone would say otherwise. And if you followed him as a player, um, I have found him to be a very thoughtful and very interesting person who doesn't provide canned quotes. So 
I think that particularly with all the buildup to him finally getting his first win, I think he would have had some really cool insights after that win. And, and for me, in that moment, I would have thought fans would have wanted to hear that. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to talk to him as, as he came off the ice after he was dancing and swinging? Wouldn't you just love to have talked to him and hear him hear what he was thinking? So wow. that's, I mean, that's, that is our perspective. And, and it is, it, if a player plays the game, they are supposed to be available to the media. So uh, no one in the media was pissed. No one in the media was upset. <clears throat> We're just trying to do our jobs. And, you know, it came out later too. John Tortorella admitted on his Hockey and Hounds radio show that it was him that had asked Elvis to not talk to the media so that he could really focus on his game. And so I think that's important too, because I feel like I saw some reaction where people were like, oh, what now he, you know, at the same time people were yeah. saying they didn't care. There were a lot of people saying, oh, oh, what now he thinks he doesn't have to talk to the media. So it, it's, it's a tricky situation. And I think that sometimes because in the media, we are trying to just present, we're trying and we don't always succeed trying to present down the middle. This is the fact of what happened that when you are a fan, your job is to care. (laughs) So you will put a filter on that from time to time and think, well, that's a really crappy thing to say, or that sounds like he's mad about that. And, and again, we don't always get it right, but I think that we were trying our best to present the facts of the situation and say, because there were some people who were upset that he was saying, I'm not going to talk to the media. So we had to let people know he wasn't talking to the media. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has to agree with our choices. Not everyone has to agree with the way we say things. Um, but we are trying. And, and that's why I appreciate you asking that question, because I think there's a bunch of different answers. And I, I honestly don't know that any of them is right or wrong, given the 800 variables in this specific situation. <laughs> You've been doing this for a little bit. Did you struggle in the beginning to keep that unbiased, like just present the facts when you first started writing? Um, I think I just had to um, adjust the mindset. I think mm-hmm. because you want to get it right, that you have to you have to make sure you're you have to make sure you're conducting yourself in a way that will garner the time and respect to try and do the job and then you want to do it right because if you're given a bigger platform if you get it wrong people are surely going to let you know so (laughs) um it's not so much a struggle for me and in some ways I I actually really enjoy just kind of being able to take it all in and like we talked about like say oh look at that number that's not at all what I thought I saw let's go check that out and it's my poor husband. He's, he's a very active fan and he gets sick of me trying to tell him. He's like, don't be logical. I'm just trying to cheer for this. team." (laughs) I get that from my mom too. She gets a little, yeah. I mean, the first season that I covered the monsters, it was a struggle for me. And I had to put my articles up the next day because I needed to sleep on it and reread it and make sure that I wasn't uh, putting some sort of like fan bias spin on it because that's not really what people are coming to read. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. All right. Well, we're almost out of time, but I did want to get you to speak a bit about what is happening next month here in Columbus, the hockey analytics conference that the Blue Jackets are hosting. So uh, please tell us more about that. And uh, and what role uh, are you playing in that conference? <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the trying not to die from my to-do list role as well. <laughs> uh, no, um, no um, I am fortunate enough to be working with uh, Josh Flynn, who's the assistant GM, and Zach Urbach, who is in the analytics department with the Blue Jackets as well, 
to put together this event. It's a two-day event. The first day is open to the public. I believe we still have some tickets available, and it's just a day-long conference um, speaking about hockey analytics. We're going to have some really great speakers. We're going to have attendees from at least six NHL organizations, including Seattle, who are going to be mm. on a panel and also in attendance for the entire day. Um, and we are gearing this towards people of all interest levels and all knowledge levels. Before the conference, we're going to have some basic information if people want to read up on stuff before they come, or if they don't, they can delete the email that I send. <laughs> um, but our goal is just to, um, for those who are interested, welcome them into the community. Um, there'll be a ticket included to the game against the Avs that night um, as well. And just a day to, again, kind of see what's coming new in the field of hockey analytics. Some of the stuff we talked about, how are we applying it to prospects? What are we looking at in terms of special teams play? What might be coming down the, the line in terms of player tracking? And what are some other bigger issues that we have in terms of communicating hockey analytics? So um, I'm really excited about it. And um, if people have questions or want more information, they can certainly uh, connect with me on Twitter or my email address is also in my Twitter bio and people are more than welcome to use that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've got my ticket. Um, Yay. And I know that there's going to be a, a number of other SB Nation bloggers there. So I'm looking forward just to get a chance to meet a lot of these people face to face. I'm really excited for that. Um, now, are you going to be doing any presentations? Are you going to be on any of the panels there? Or are you just helping run things? <laughs> I have submitted an abstract, which I haven't approved yet. So. <laughs> 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 that equation. So no, um, I'm, I'm hoping to present and I'll be there. And, and you make such a great point because, you know, and for anyone who's on the fence, I mean, I was you, gosh, now it's a long time ago, like seven, eight years ago when I went to my first hockey analytics conference and the community side of it is just is really the best part above and beyond the learning and, and the education. So it's it's a great place. It's a welcoming place. It's a place where people want to help you learn if, if you're interested in something. And um, yeah, if you're interested, um, hopefully we'll see you there on February 8th. All right. And uh, where can people find you online? Sure. I'm at Allison L, A-L-I-S-O-N-L on Twitter. Um, and you can find my work currently at The Athletic. Um, the link for that is in my bio, or I obnoxiously tweet out my stories in high volume when they come out as well. All right. Well, yeah, if, if you're a Columbus Blue Jackets fan and you're not following Allison, you need to get on that because that is definitely <laughs> a must follow. So, all right, Allison, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate the chance to visit with you. Uh, hopefully we can do this at some point in the future. And uh, I know I will see you at the uh, analytics conference next month. Uh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you guys. This was, this was great. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon, if not at the conference some other time. Great. Thanks so much. Our theme music, as always, is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Be sure to check out Angela on your favorite streaming service and go to angelapurley.com to learn more about Angela and to find upcoming show dates. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet us at CBJCanon on Twitter and comment on jacketscanon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thanks for your listening and we'll see you next week.
Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.